In Exodus chapter 1, and we're just going to thump through it, okay? We're just going to finger through it for a minute. In Exodus chapter 1, you know it. Do you have anything underlined in your Bible? You remember Exodus? I mean, the whole story of Genesis is that God is forming a people. I mean, after all, he formed Adam and Eve, didn't he? He, he formed Adam from the dust of the ground. He made Eve from the rib that he took from Adam. I mean, it's talking about a formation of a people. Now, the fact that that people sinned against God and they went further and further and further away because of sin, we think about it, Adam and Eve in the center of God's presence in that garden. And then sin made them leave the garden. So now they're outside of the garden. And then, you think about it, from Adam and Eve came a child. Anybody remember the first child's name? Cain. So there comes Cain. And what does Cain do? Cain decides that he wants to kill his brother. And as a result of killing his brother, because he became, became angry and jealous with his brother, the Bible says that now Cain would become a vagabond, he would become a stranger, and he would be so far away from the presence of God. Think about that in just two, two generations, just two steps. Think about how far away man became from God's presence. That's crazy. That's what sin does. Sin takes us away from the presence of God. Genesis chapter 6, you read these words, and God repented from having made man. And that's a huge repentance. It hurt God's heart to see the state of man, how desperately wicked man had become. It hurt God's heart to see his creation, how far away they were from his presence. And yet, the Bible says that God is rich in mercy. And as a result, in the book of Genesis, you don't see God throwing in the towel. You don't see God giving up on his own creation because God does not abandon the work of his hands. Anybody ever do homework? And then as a result of doing homework, you're like, this is too hard, and you step away from it? Anybody been in college and you've given up on college? Anybody changed their major already a couple of times? My daughter, one of them, has changed her major three times. She's only 19. I finally looked at my daughter and said, honey, there's just no doubt about it. Work is work. You're going to have to work through this. You're going to have to put your shoulder under it. You're going to have to really... It's going to be work. You see, God is not scared of our state. God is not scared of our sin. It hurts God's heart, but God does not abandon the work of his hands. If you think that God is scared of where you're at, or if you think that God is totally going to give up on you where you're at, I want you to know that God's mercy is right there. And so it is in the book of Genesis. You see God, he just keeps forming the people. He keeps forming the people. You might get to Genesis chapter 12, Genesis chapter 11, Genesis chapter 12, Genesis chapter 13, and you see God working in the life of Abraham. He takes this Abram dude from out of this, this city. Nobody's ever heard of the city. Nobody even knows this Abram. God takes this Abram and he says, I'm going to make you the father of the Jewish people. I'm going to make the people unto myself. And Abram, it's going to come through the faith that I give to you. Then you remember the God of Abraham, the God of who? Isaac. The God of who? Jacob. And Jacob has how many sons? Twelve sons. And twelve sons come out to be twelve tribes. And by the end of Genesis, you have the story of twelve tribes that have come together. And that's God's people. Do they have issues? Oh my goodness. Do they have problems? Is there sin? Oh my goodness. Read about it. Genesis chapter 49 is like incredible if you think about it. God seeing each one of those sons, each one of those tribes and already prophesying about how incredible they need their God. Because it's not about the people of God, it's about the God of the people. Get it? It's not about my life, it's about him and me. We make all of this about the church. 
It calls this about my life. And guys, it's about the mercy of God in and through me. This story is not about me. This story is about him. I had a history teacher when I was in high school. Incidentally, I hated history. Does anybody like history? Don't preach your hand. Let me throw something at you. I mean, history. I hated it. English was my thing, but history, facts. You know what I'm saying? A storyline. Ugh. So irrelevant. Ugh. Why did I need to know about that battle? Why did I need to know about that date? And I had a terrible memory. If I had a terrible memory at 15 and 16, can you imagine when I am 47? If you repeat that, I will kill you. And so imagine this. As he, here I am, sitting in history class, and Mrs. Van Wall says this. I walk in the first day of history, and on the whiteboard, yes, we had whiteboards back then, on the whiteboard, huge is the word history. I said, yeah, here we go again, another year of history class. And she said, hey, students, if you hate history, I just want to talk to you about something for one minute before we get into it. And she took the first three letters, and she circled them. And she said, if anybody here is a child of God, I want you to know that history is about his story. It's not about you, and it's not about me. And I went home. Here I'm thinking it's about Abraham Lincoln and Christopher Columbus and I don't know how one of those Mexican people. I don't know. It's all about my dad always talking about Fidel Castro. And my mom always talking about the Swiss people. I don't know if those the overs. And then here I am thinking, I can't stand history. Don't talk to me about it. And yet this teacher is giving me a perspective. It's not about you and me. It's about him. It's about what he is doing in people that will surrender their life to him. And what he will do in people that will not surrender their lives to him. And that just opened my mind. It just blew me away. I read about the stories as we get to Exodus chapter 1. And that people of God who's been formed, anybody remember what they were, where they were at in Exodus chapter 1? Were they a free people or were they a people in bondage? I can't hear you because I have bad hearing. I'm 47. Again, I'll shoot you. Where were they? Where were they in chapter 1 of, the, of Exodus? In bondage. In bondage. They were in bondage. They were in Egypt. They were slaves. I mean, think about it for just a minute. Let me get there with you. For those of you who don't know it, go to chapter um, chapter one and just look at verse eleven. And that's probably a good good word, a, a good verse. And it says, "Therefore they set taskmasters over them." So let me give you some words there. They, the Egyptians, they set taskmasters. Those taskmasters meant slave gangs. They put slave gangs, and you guys have Bibles in Spanish. Does anybody have a Bible in English here? Oh, good. Okay, so we're talking, right? English, Spanish. You can go with me. They said taskmasters, they put slave gangs over them. So imagine, they, they were whipped. The, 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 the Israelite people, God's people, were found as slaves. And they had taskmasters over them. Now why? Keep reading in verse 11. To afflict them with their burdens. That's the state of God's people. And so if, if you're taking notes today, and I, I so recommend young people that, that when you come, I thank God that you have your Bibles with you, but I want to encourage you to take it even more personally than that. I encourage you to let your, your Bible be a place of notes for you. I encourage you to, to, to take this time where the Lord is speaking to your heart and make notes in your Bible about what the Lord is doing in your heart, the challenges that he's making in your life. I, I, I invite you to come through my Bible. It's a remarkable difference of what you'll see in my Bible now from when I was a young person. Because for me, there was a huge disconnect. I was just coming here for the hour and then walking out. But now when I'm in God's word, I'm like, 
like, I need God to speak to my life. And he awakened that when I was an older teenager, like many of you that are here today. I need the Lord to say, what does it mean when they set taskmasters over them? What was God saying? That God was saying that if I'm going to live in the world, if I'm going to be part of the world, I better know something. There's going to be a taskmaster over me. They're going to put burdens over me. I'm going to be a slave to this world. If that's why we're here, if that's what we're looking forward to, to become, to having a marriage, to getting a job, to having a home, to having stuff. Guys, let me just tell you, that's what you're living for. If you're living to get a degree, if you're living to get married, if you're living to get old and have a lot of stuff, maybe a few cars and all that good stuff, let me tell you, chapter 1 and verse 11 is the story of your life. Because that's all the people, God, people were living for. When you get to chapter 2, in chapter 2, chapter 3, and chapter 4, You'll read this name continuously. It's the life of Moses. But it's really not about Moses. Remember, it's not about Moses' story. It's about his story. And so you read about God's call on the life of Moses. And you remember, we all learned about it in Sunday school. This boy, this little infant, was placed in the waters. That was God's providence. That was God's protection. And God allowed Moses to be taken out of the waters as an infant. He was taken for 40 years in Moses in Pharaoh's home. For 40 years, he lived in the desert. And then for 40 years, he lived with God's people. And I want you to see the story. This has nothing to do with Moses. This has everything to do with the greatness of God. Well, thump, because I have to go quickly, thump to chapter 5 for just a minute. If you go chapter 5, now keep going, just be looking at the titles. I hope you guys have like some titles in your Bible. Chapter 5, chapter 6. Do you see the titles? Just look at that for a minute. Chapter 6, chapter 7, chapter 8. What is the word that you keep seeing? Anybody? Start with a P in English or in Spanish. It's the same thing. What is it? The plagues, that's right. Now you go all the way to chapter 13. Keep thumping and keep looking. All the way to chapter 13, how many remember how many plagues there were in Egypt? Some of us are thinking. Were there five? Were there seven? Thank you. There were ten. There were ten plagues. God sent his power. This is not about the plagues. This is about God's power. Because it's about his story. So first we see about God's formation of his people. Then we see God's call to Moses. Then we see God's power through the ten plagues. It's an amazing story. You should get into it. You should read it for yourself. How it is that God marked a difference in the same land. And right there, the ten plagues are coming over the world. They're coming over the Egyptians, but God's people are being saved. The last time I checked, flies had wings, and flies could do what? They went from one place to another because they knew how to fly. Flies, fly, get Grasshoppers, hop! Frogs, hop! All of these were the plagues that God sent. And it's an amazing thing that God's power stopped the plagues. At a certain point where the same people living in the same region, those flies would not touch, those frogs would not touch, those grasshoppers would not hop. God protecting his people as though saying this, if you will come to me, if you will follow me, if you will live for me, I will be your God and I will protect you like no one else can in the midst of tremendous affliction. God showed his power. And then we get to chapter 14. What a chapter this is. <laughs> 
Pharaoh would not let God's people go. Pharaoh was the king of Egypt. He was the big guy, the big honcho. He was the one who had God's people as slaves. Let my people go that they would serve me. Moses said, Pharaoh, God says, let my people go that they would serve him. Let them go. They are his people. They're not your people. Pharaoh said, absolutely not. But on this remarkable day after the 10th plague, read what those 10 plagues are. Pharaoh said, get out. He is now so convinced about this God, get out. And as they're leaving, this group of people who should have been, if you, if, you, if you kind of take the story, it's not five or ten or maybe fifteen hundred or the population of Warren, I think it's seven thousand, am I right? Oh, guys, more like two million, a million and a half, two million, that's an incredible number. And they're leaving Egypt and all of these people come to what is a sea. And you guys know the story. We read it. We read about it. We've learned about it in Sunday school. And with the sea in front of them, they're like, "Now what's going to happen?" Because they look back, and now Pharaoh's angry, and Pharaoh's coming after them to kill them. The Lord, in His incredible mercy, goodness, and power, He frees God's people. He opens up the, the, the Red Sea and God's people move out on that, in that Red Sea. Does anybody remember what happened to the ground when the Red Sea opened? Anybody remember what it says? That the, the ground became what? Dry. They almost as hard as this. Can you imagine? It was just dry ground. You guys are freaking out here in Ward because it rained last week and then all the ground is mushy. That's kind of funny to me. And, 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 and imagine this. I mean, there's dry ground. It was the ocean a few seconds ago. And the Lord is just that powerful that he frees us. It's not mushy territory. It's not swamp land. Our walk in the Lord is firm. When you're walking in the Lord, it's not anything you have to be scared about. When God takes us on a journey, he takes us on firm steps towards him. That's how good God is. You read about the song that Moses began to sing to the Lord, and Miriam, his sister, began the tambourine to sing before the Lord. Oh, the horse and the rider, he's thrown into the sea. He's freed my life. We will extol the Lord. We will exalt his name. He is powerful and worthy to be praised. Read the song. It's an incredible chapter. And then you get to chapter 15. And when you get to chapter 15, that song that's produced, in chapter 16 and 17 and 18, wow. Chapter 16 through 19, you're going to read about something. Now God's people are no longer in Egypt. Now they're no longer at the sea. Now they pass through the Red Sea. They're on the other side of the Red Sea. They're in the wilderness. They're in the desert. There's no Walgreens over there, okay? You get what I'm saying? And there, there, there's no McDonald's. They're in the middle of the desert. And there the Lord begins to test their heart. Test their heart. Test their heart. There's no water. There's no food. That's the very first thing, guys, when you get hungry. What begins to happen to you? Don't you get into a little bit of a bad mood? How when you get thirsty and somebody tells you to go somewhere? What do you do? You put a stop on it. Hold on, I'm thirsty. I gotta, I gotta go through the drive-thru. Hold on. No drive-thru. And God begins to test his people's heart. Did they really believe in him? Did they really trust him? Were they really singing that song of worship 
because they believed in him. The, the, what we read in chapter 14, what we read in chapter 15, was it real? When they lifted up their hands, when they clapped their hands, when they jumped for joy, when they acknowledged that God is God. Wow, look at everything he's done. Look at the plagues. Look how he saved us. Look how we just opened up the Red Sea. God is amazing. Was it real? For them? And you'll notice that in those chapters, God's people began to say something to Moses. Take us back. We want to be slaves again. We don't want to be here. We want to go back and we would have rather died in Egypt under affliction being slaves. Was it real for them, guys? And so it is. In the high school of the one, or in the college room of Monticello or wherever we go, where there are believers who have seen the good hand of God, that who have said, I've received him as my personal Savior. He's been real to me in that way. But there's a disconnect. And here we say, take it. I'd rather live like the world, live in the world. This is too hard. God is testing my heart, and guess what? I give up and I fail. I don't even want to try this. I'm just looking around, and I'm seeing that this is like a dry place. I, I don't see enough company over here. I don't see enough people around here. This is scary to me. I want to go back. And God then does something to his people. He says, I'm not going to leave you alone. And if you get to chapter 19 and chapter 20, which is where we're going to stay today, he does this. He calls Moses up to his presence on the mountaintop. God's people stay at the bottom. Moses goes up into the presence of the Lord on this mountaintop, and he doesn't come down empty-handed. Do you remember when he comes down? And so it is that God gives them his commandments. And he says, I'm going to show you how to walk this walk. I'm going to show you how to live this life. You see, when you weren't under Pharaoh's command, he had his commandments. When you lived in the world, they had their standards. They had their way of doing things. But you're no longer in the world. I've rescued you from the world. I've brought you to myself. And I want to speak to your hearts about my commandments, the Lord says. I want to show you my law. And I'm not going to just write my law on two tables of stone. I'm not going to write my law on paper and leather. I'm going to write my law in your hearts. I'm going to let it be real to you. I'm going to express it in a way that it will be so applicable to you that it's all you know. You know what Moses received those ten commandments and he said, yes, Lord. But when he gave them to the people of Israel, do you remember what the people of Israel did? Hey, God, speak to Moses. Don't speak directly to us. Speak to Moses. Moses will talk to us. But speak to Moses. Do you see the disconnect? You see how there was a disconnect in their lives? And I would encourage you, young people, that if the only thing you hear tonight, today, is this, I encourage you to connect. I'm encouraging you to engage. I'm encouraging you to know that the Lord desires such a personal, clear, true relationship with you. I know what it means to want to get married. I want you to know that. As long as I remember being a girl, from the point that I was no longer a child, but I was a girl, I wanted to get married. 
And, and I remember looking and I wanted so much to be engaged. But I want you to know with that same passion that I was looking to be engaged so that I could come into a relationship with my husband. With that passion, the Lord desires for us to want to engage with him. Search for him. Look for him. Have you become engaged with the Lord? Have you, have you connected with the Lord in such a personal level that it's all that you think about, dream about, desire? It's what you yearn for. It's what you ask the Lord for. God's people didn't. But Moses did. Moses did. Moses went up into the presence of God. The Bible says that he would wake up early in the morning and seek God's presence. The Bible said that while the people of God were murmuring and complaining, he would be in the presence of the Lord. You see, it's not a question of culture. I'm looking at you all and to be honest, are all of you Mexican? Is anybody here not Mexican? Like you're all looking around like, where are the gringos? Okay, so I'm All right. And I understand we're a little bit different in the way that we express ourselves. You know, when I hug, have you guys noticed, like, when I see you, I just want to jump on you and like, hug you and hug. And you guys are like, that's awesome. That's great. No problem. But here, here's the issue. We're not talking about a cultural experience here. We're not talking about Moses and the people of Israel being culturally different. They were from the same culture. But we were talking about, we're talking about matters of the heart. These people were indifferent to the Lord. They didn't want to connect to God. Moses wanted to connect to the Lord. Let me give you two other Israelites that were different. The Bible talks about two. Anybody remember their name? Joshua and Caleb. Good. And why does the Bible say that Joshua and Caleb were so different? Because God had placed in their heart a different spirit, a, a different heart, a different desire. So while everybody else had a lack of faith, everybody else had a lack of desire for God, these two said we believe. We know in whom we have believed. And I, I don't know amongst you all if there's one or two who the Lord has placed a different spirit in you, where it has nothing to do with your culture. It has nothing to do with my culture. It has everything to do with who the Lord is. And it makes you stand up, and it makes you say, as for me, I will live for the Lord. I want him to write his commandments in my heart. I know this is not about my story. I know it's not about my life. I know it's not about my identification. Everybody have a driver's license here? Or close to it? Yeah? When you got your driver's license for the first time, what did you do? You know what my daughter did? She said she needed to retake the picture because it wasn't pretty enough. She paid the extra $30 to get another can you believe that? Is that not vain? Because you see, it's just, it's just something about that ID. It's like, yeah, I got my license. You know? And it's The older we get, it becomes more and more about me. If you guys think you're selfish now, give it a few years. You get a bank account. And you have a house, and you have stuff, and you get more and more. Well, let me just ask you something. I mean, Rick is the oldest guy here, so. How do you see old people for the most part? How do, we're all getting there, okay? But old people, for the most part, they think about themselves. Ever seen an old woman just kind of sit there? When she's walking, she's just thinking about herself and she's not thinking about anybody else. That's what we throw into. We get more and more and more selfish unless God does something in our life. It's not about our story, it's about the story. This is the verse I wanted to leave with you. Can I just leave one single verse with you? Is that okay? 
We've gone through the entire book of the Bible for you. Are you kidding me? Genesis, Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20 is the, is the chapter in which he gives us his laws. He gives us his laws. And, and, and I'd like to emphasize with you one verse here. It's verse 24. This is the verse I want to read with you. An altar of earth you shall make for me. Does everybody see that word me? It doesn't, it's not a small M, it's a capital M, isn't it? So who's speaking there? Moses? No, who's speaking there? God. God is speaking to his people. And he's saying this An altar of earth you shall make for me, and you shall sacrifice on it your burnt offerings, your peace offerings, your sheep, and your oxen. Now keep reading. In every place where I record my name, I will come to you and I will bless you. That's the verse I want to leave with you today. I don't know what that says to your heart, but to me that just makes me go, huh? Because these words stand out. Look at the words right in the middle of that verse. In every place where I record my name. Remember how we said about it being his story? Not my story, it's his story. And there the Lord is going to record his name. There the Lord is going to write his name. He's going to register his name. He's going to Mark his name. Now, if I understand that the Christian life is not about me, but the Christian life is about him, then I understand that I need for him to record his name on my life and in my life. It's not about my name, Gloria, and that everybody would remember Gloria. And then everybody would look at Gloria and think, oh, what, 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 what do I think? What do I think about Gloria? Do I remember Gloria? What did Gloria say? It is rather what God is, who he is. I want God to record his name in my life so that when you think about me, the only one you're thinking about is the Lord. It's the same thing that would happen with that man when I was in second grade. I have no clue who that man is. I don't remember his name. I don't remember what he said, but I remember that God spoke to me through what he said. His name was recorded on that man's life. Can we see Moses today? Do we have anything about Moses? Or was it what God did through Moses' life? Because God recorded his name on Moses' life. And so it is for you and for me, young people. This world is going to say that it's all about you. I freaked out when my kids were in middle school and I walked into the family room one day and right there on the screen, they were watching the Disney Channel. You guys get the Disney Channel on? You guys watch the Disney Channel? There on the Disney Channel on the screen, it said this, it's all about you, exclamation point. And that's just a real good understanding of what the world teaches us. The world says it's all about you and what you want and what you desire and what your dreams are. What do you want? Whatever you want, you can what? Achieve. The world teaches us that standard and God is saying this has nothing to do with you. I have rescued you from the world. I have redeemed you. I have given you my standards. I have given you my laws. And this is about my glorious name that I want to write on your heart. So that when people see you, they don't see you, they see me. You see, young people, your salvation is free. But your faith will cost you everything. Your salvation is free. You didn't deserve it. But your faith in God 
will cost you everything. And that was something that God's people did not want to give up. Israel was not ready to pay the price. And that's the truth. What will it cost you? It will cost you your name. It will cost you your desires. It will cost you your will. It will cost you everything that is in you that is lust. For example, I'm just going to go real plain with you for a minute. Lust that surfaces as young people, and we just we get hot, and we're, we're there, we're thinking about this, and it will cost you that, because you will say, I will not think about that, but I will bring that in obedience to Christ Jesus. I am not going to walk in lust. I am going to walk in the passion of my Lord. It's going to cost you your friends who waste time and who live for themselves and who want to draw you into everything that has to do with Facebook and wasting hours and hours and hours of time on social media. It's going to cost you because you will say, I'm not going to be spending my time like that. I am going to redeem the time because the days are evil. I'm walking in the ways of the Lord. It's going to cost you everything. It's going to cost you some of you what you're studying. Because maybe you're studying something that God has never called you to. But you've got a major. You've got an ambition. You've got a desire. You're right in the middle of it. You know, I was just speaking to a young man at church in Miami. Let me tell you something. From the time that he was two years old, he was in church with his parents. He is now 20. How old is Jonathan? 23? 23 years old. He was the best in high school. He graduated the top of his class. Everybody always knew him as a brain, but he wasn't one of those nerdy brains. He was like, you know, a cool kind of kid. Everybody liked him. Sweet guy. Everything. Jonathan now just credits away from his graduation. And he can't get there. He can't get to the finish line. He, he just can't reach it. And I said, Jonathan, what's going on? What is happening with you? You have been always a super, super student. You, you just, you've blown people away. What is going on? He, he just sat there with me. And he was broken. And he said, Gloria, after all of this, these years as a, as a high school student, as a college student, giving my life to my studies, I know that I've walked away from the plan of God for my life. Is it wrong to go to university? Is it wrong to become an electrical engineer, which is what he's doing? Is it wrong any of that? That's not what's wrong. What's wrong is when God has called your life and you're running in the other direction. That's what's wrong. There sits Jonathan, to just just months away from a graduation, and he keeps getting delayed and delayed and delayed. He can't even reach it. God's not even allowing him to reach it until he repents before the Lord. Young people, I can't tell you this more. God has shown it to me. He's made it real in my life. My salvation is free. I didn't pay for my salvation. Jesus paid for it on the cross. But my faith in him will cost me everything. If I truly believe in the Lord with all of my heart, the first commandment says it all. You can have no other gods before me. That means it costs us everything. And here in this verse, the Lord speaks to our life. I don't know what, what time. Are we, what time do we need to end? 12 o'clock? Yes. Okay. Is it 1130? Is that what you guys have? What time do you have? So that's okay, maybe? Okay. Look at what it said, and I promised you that I wouldn't ask you to turn anywhere else. So please, let's just dissect this verse with me for a minute. An altar of earth. I want to read it with you one more time. An altar of earth you shall make for me. Now stop there for a minute. 
an altar of earth. What is an altar, first of all? What is an altar? Hello, help me out so you don't fall asleep. What is an altar? If you think about an altar, is it a place? It's a place of worship. Very good. Worship to another, right? Not to the altar itself, but to another. So it's a place of worship. Anybody else? When you think about an altar, what are you thinking about? What, what did they have to bring to an altar? A sacrifice. So what did that sacrifice? Did that sacrifice remain alive? When they had to bring a lamb, for example, what happened with that lamb? The lamb had to what? Be slaughtered, had to die. When it says here, an altar, it's talking about a place of death. So the Lord is immediately saying, there's going to be a place of death. And in that place of death, I will be honored. Does that mean that you and I have to wait till the day that we die for God to be honored? I hope not. Keep reading with me. It says, an altar of what? An altar of earth. Now think about that for a minute. We saw this last night. What what are you and I made up of? I mean, we put makeup on it and we put jewelry on it. And we put a lot of exercise into it. Guys, you guys really build up those muscles to look good. I know it. And we ladies, we try to get all those measurements in. And we do so much. I think about it. We, we put so much into this earth, but it is earth. It is, it is nothing. It is dust. We dress it. We take care of it. But it's earth. And the Bible says, an altar of earth. Now keep going with me. Keep reading with me. An altar of earth you shall make for me. In other words, this place of death in my life belongs to him. It's not for me. The Lord says, I want that. I want that, I want that, I want that, I want that. I want it, I want it, I want it, I want it. This is where I'm coming to. Keep reading. And you shall sacrifice it, on it, your burnt offerings and your peace offerings, your sheep and your oxen. Now I think about that for a minute, guys. I consider what the passage is saying here, and I'm like, hold on one second. So the place that God considers important is an altar. The place that God says is that important is an altar of earth. It's an altar of earth where there's going to be death, where there's going to be giving up, where there's going to be a place in my heart. Did you know that the altars that God allowed in the Old Testament, when he told his laws to his people, if you were to go to Egypt, if you were to go to, go to the world, you know what kind of altars they had? They had steps that went up to a very high place, and that's where the altar would be. Did you know that God said, on any altar that you sacrifice to me, there will be no steps? Now think for just a minute. Guys, sorry I'm going to touch your manhood for just a minute, but the priest did not wear pants like you guys are wearing. The priest wore a robe. So it's kind of like what I'm wearing but longer. And if there were steps that went up to a high place, what would be exposed? The man's what? The man's legs, the man's nakedness. That was one reason why the Lord didn't allow it. The Bible says it. The Bible says, in another way, you will not exalt yourself before me. So if I take this chair right here, and I exalt myself, just the fact that I'm higher up, just the fact that I'm on a stage, I'm exalting myself. And the Lord said, there will be no steps at an altar before me. No steps. It will be an altar of earth. Very unlike what the world does. You see, the Lord's not looking for anything that we could possibly give to him. Well, I'm going to turn to the Lord when I have my degree. I'm going to give myself to the Lord as soon as I finish all my studies. Or as soon as I, as soon as I have a job, I'm going to give myself to the Lord. The Lord said, I want an altar of earth. I want a place that's simple. 
I'm not asking for anything glorious because I'm glorious enough, the Lord says. Well, well I, I'm still not ready. I, I'm not going to serve the Lord yet because I'm not prepared enough. Does anybody say that? I'm not ready enough. I still have to learn more. And the Lord says, I want an altar of earth. I'm just looking for that which is simple. Do you believe that God is enough? Do you really believe that God is strong enough? And that he's able enough? So he says here that you shall make for me, verse 24 again, you shall make for me an altar of earth and you will sacrifice on it. And now I think about that sacrifice. Somebody said here it's a place of worship. And in fact, it's a place of consecration to the Lord. I know that within you guys there are some relationships already that are developing. Girlfriend, guy friend, and all that stuff. Now, for those of you who are boyfriend and girlfriend, and you guys are already looking at one another, Google that guy and all that stuff. And, and if you were to look at that guy's phone and see that he's calling another girl, what would you think? I hear, right? Not gonna happen. Because he's not consecrated to you. And in the same way, the Lord says, I'm looking for an altar of earth for me. I'm looking at your heart and I'm seeing if you have a divided heart. I think about the life of Solomon. Do you remember the life of Solomon, young people? Think about it. Solomon grew up in the church just like you and I did. Solomon's father was who? David. And the Bible says that David had a heart for God. Was David perfect? No. But David had a heart for God, and God saw that. An altar of earth for God. But Solomon came along, growing up in the church, growing up hearing the word of God, growing up watching his father consecrated unto the Lord, and the Bible says that this Solomon had a divided heart. Do you remember what was the division? Part of his heart was for the God and for God. And what was the other part for? Anybody remember? Guys, this is kind of important. Anybody remember? It was for women. For women. In fact, he had a few wives. How many wives did he have? Anybody remember? A total of a thousand. The Bible records for us a thousand. It might have been said that with one, it's too much. So can you imagine? <laughs> I mean, a thousand, seven hundred, three plus three hundred. We're talking about a lot of women there. We're talking about a lot of division there. We're talking about a heart that is, for God, I know that the Lord is good. I know that the Lord is strong. I know that the Lord is holy. I know that the Lord is worthy. I know that the Lord should be praised. I know that, and I love God, but oh, do I love the world too. And in that division of heart, do you remember the 12 tribes that we talked about? It was under the kingship of Solomon. Under that reign of Solomon, that Solomon died, and when his son came to become king, king you know what happened? The whole kingdom broke apart. It was a sign. God is telling him, do you see Solomon? What you sow is what you will reap. So it is in our hearts, guys. So it is in our lives. God will bless our lives if we are an altar of earth unto him. The Lord's not requiring of you what he is not willing to give to you. Your salvation is free. He's given it to you. He has saved you. And now that he has rescued you from the world, he is asking if you are willing to pay the price. And I have a question for you about this price. Does anybody know what the price is? We said it's everything, but can anybody give me a New Testament verse that talks about the price? I know you guys probably know the New Testament a little bit more than the Old Testament, so talk to me. 
What verse do you remember that the Bible talks about that Jesus told his disciples about the price of following him? Really? Really? Jesus looked at his disciples and said, If any man desires to come after me, let him what? Deny himself. Pick up his cross and follow him. Follow me. So think about that for just a minute. If any man desires to follow me, he must, three things, deny himself. Do you know it in Spanish? Is that the disconnect that I'm having with you? Si alguien quiere seguirme, debe hacer qué? Negarse a sí mismo. Tomar su cruz. That's paying the price. That's laying down your life. Denying yourself says this is not about me. So you take out your car license and you say, huh? Does that mean that you're not going to drive anymore? No, it means your identity. You lose your identity. It means that when you walk into a room, you're not waiting for everybody to look at you and say, ah, look who's here. It means that you're bringing glory to the Lord. It means that when you go onto your school campus or when you go onto your university campus or when you're at home with your family and your parents are talking to you or your siblings are talking to you, it has nothing to do with me and my actions and my bedroom and what I want to do. It's about, Lord, how can I serve you? It's about giving everything up and saying, Lord, I live for you. It's about the fashion that we wear, and it's not about how I look and how everybody's going to think about what. It's about, Lord, I just want to reflect you. I want to reflect. I want to reflect your goodness. I want to reflect your work in my life. It means that what you do with the time that God's given to you, it's not so that you waste your time. What are some of the things that we waste our time doing in I mean, how old are we? 18, 19, 20, 16, 14? How old are we? Tell me your age real fast. I got it all. Keep going. Watch the side of the other. Come on, help me out. Okay. Anybody 20? Who's 23? You're 23. Oh, you look like you're 17. <laughs> That's awesome. Don't, you, thought, you thought I was 24, right? <laughs> How old are you? How old is that in theaters? Maybe one of them, okay, maybe. Alright, so, so, we're, we're like younger, anybody 14? 14, okay, so 13? Ah, oh, you look like you're 16. That's great, okay. So, you see, like, I'm not saying I'm serious. Okay, so, it's the problem with white skin. We look older than we are. It's a real problem. So, let me just tell you something, guys, that this has, when we walk into a place, whether we're 13, or whether we're 23 or 24, oh my Lord, I, I just want to reflect you. I just want you to be sick. Write your name, register your name right here. And that's a problem in this generation. Because we're living, I think I was talking to uh, Rachel. Rachel, and I said, Rachel, you know what the problem is with this generation? Is this is the me generation. This is about me. Because Disney has taught us it's all about me. It's not about God's standards. I think it's the Supreme Court that ruled. So I think it's in Arkansas too, right? Not just in Florida. Um, the redefinition of marriage. Yes or no? Redefinition of marriage. Women can marry women. Men can marry men. What does that mean? It means it's all about me. It's not about God's standards. It means that God's standards have gone out through the window. Nobody cares about what God has done. It's all about what I want to do. Your salvation is free, but your faith will cost you everything. This is not about whether you're a Democrat or whether you're a Republican. This is not if you are for Trump or if you are for Trump. Or if you are for who? Hillary um, Clinton. This is not who's going to win in this vote. This is the question is if you are truly saying, Lord,
I'm on your side. I'm not going for anything in this world. I choose you. This is not about hating the world. This is about looking at the world and saying, God loves you, but I love the Lord. And I stand up for the standard of God. And I say, Lord, have your way in my life. And last time I checked, guys, altar means a place of death. So that means that we're not going to look beautiful in the place of death. We're going to look dead. But Christ is going to live in us. There are the words of this song that I wanted to leave with you. I don't think you guys sing it, but I want to leave you the words of it. These are the words. It says, Christ is my reward. What's your reward? What do you want so badly? What do you say, if I just have this, that's all I want? A husband, a wife, a job, a degree? What's your reward today? Christ is my reward and all my devotion. Now, there's nothing in this world that could ever satisfy. Do you believe that? Through every trial, my soul will sing, no turning back, I've been set free. Christ is enough for me. Christ is enough for me. Everything I need is in you, Lord. Everything I need. Christ is my all in all. He's my joy and my salvation. This hope will never fail. Heaven is my home. Christ, through every storm, my soul will sing, you are my reward. And then it ends with this part, and you guys do know these words, I think. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. Have you decided to follow Jesus? Or are you disconnected? You've connected to salvation, but in your life you're totally disconnected. And as a result, your life shows no power. It shows no power of the Holy Spirit. It has no presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. Relationship with the Word of God Maybe some knowledge about this because of Sunday school. Maybe some of this. Maybe going to youth group. But the power of the presence of the Holy Spirit, nothing. Are you disconnected? Let me tell you the fact that this is connected into a source, but not connected on the other side, it makes it useless. And I encourage you, young people, that if you want your life to be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, that you connect. And this is the way to do it. Your salvation is free, but your faith will cost you how much? Can you say it, guys? I think Rick has a few more words before we end in prayer. As Rick finishes, we'll end in prayer together. It's um, I, I told her I want a couple minutes, and then uh, as she was going out, I. I decided not to, and I wanted to think. Um, it's tough as, as young people to make decisions to, to follow Christ. Um, it's tough as, as adults um, to make that decision to follow Christ. As a young man, I know that I grew up saying that it's Christ. It's not for, it's not for you, it's for the woman and, and for the kids. So it's tough for us young men to make Gracias por escuchar nuestra grabación de Pacto de Gracias Campus Arkansas. Para más información, visítanos en nuestras páginas web 
pactodegracia.org.mx y facebook.com barra pacto de gracia Warren. Thank you.